This week, I have the honor of sharing a fun fact. These are facts that we prepare ahead of time and don't share with each other. Yes. Because Caitlin's looking at me in a weird way and I'm scared. I am so excited to share this fact with you, Lauren. I've been thinking about this for a while. Are and you proposing to me? <laughs> oh, maybe through, through <laughs> science. Well, since on episode two, Lauren talked about mega sloths. Mega fauna. Mega fauna. I wanted to introduce something that I have crazy researched because I am bizarrely fascinated. So you ready, Lauren? Yeah. So once upon a time, I was talking to my husband about the origin of horses and what their natural habitat is. And stables. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, yep. I don't get it. I'm excited. <laughs> Natural habitat of horses, stables. No. Um, so I actually asked my mom this too, and she is a horse person. And she said the <laughs> Your same mom's a thing. horse girl. She is a horse girl. Hell yeah. Very much so. And she was like, Well, they need a pasture with some water and hay. And I was like, That's that's not what I meant. No, where what's their original habitat? And upon looking further, I learned some really interesting facts about horse ancestors and where they came from. Oh my gosh, tell me more. <laughs> so horses did come from North America at some point in their lineage. America, what, what? Okay, what, what? <laughs> But the modern day horses are an evolution of that original horse that was brought over by the Spanish. Mm. And so what we know as a, you know, normal horses today, the horses that we know and love, that was not what was here originally in North mm. America. Okay. The original horse ancestor so far that researchers have discovered is something called, I'm going to botch this, but Eohippus. And instead of having the one you know, whatever it's called, um, hoof. hoof, it had a four toed hoof, Ooh. which to me is just kind of disturbing. And if you look up this horse, it literally looks like a miniature, like very, this thing is not majestic. No, I'm looking it, at it right now, it is not deeply like, we've improved disturbing major glow up. Yeah. The horses glowed up Ugh. big time, Ooh. but it was this hoofed creature that looks kind of like a rat an anteater it looks like a not cool dragon with like squatty mm -hmm. feet mm -hmm. <laughs> accurate very very accurate and they are so small so it's not cute like a miniature horse it is not a little sebastian it Aww. is just Lose not cute i actually I'm disturbed, but I couldn't help but share this information because we were talking about mega sloths and now yeah, we got now some we're talking about tiny little horses. Weird horses. Little Eohippus. Yeah, look this up. <laughs> Whoa, disturbing. this is so weird. <laughs> and you know, they say it's a great time to be alive and our horses are much better now. So yep. it, is, it is a great, great time to be a woman. To be a horse. To be a horse. <laughs> Definitely better than before. <laughs> Major improvements. Major improvements. We're all glowing up. We're all glowing up. So 
I will not try to do what Caitlin does, which is segue from the wild ass facts that we share at the <laughs> beginning of this podcast. And I will just say that our goofy shit will conclude here. And we are now, I can't do it. Caitlin does it and I can't. And I'm just accepting that about myself. And now we are going to talk about one of our favorite subjects diet culture clean eating we're cracking open pandora's box of what it means to quote eat healthy and i'm so excited caitlin and i actually just had a really funny conversation with uh, a a young man at a coffee shop where he he was like what are you all doing tonight and we were like well we're gonna go podcast i don't know why we told him that and then he was like that's cool what's your podcast about and then caitlin was like i'm a nutritionist he was like oh is it about eating healthy and then he was like i eat really bad and then we were like there's a lot to unpack he actually also said is it about dieting and lauren and i were like (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so then we were like and this is why this podcast must be made so yeah Hmm. Lots to unpack here. Lots to unpack. Lots so to unpack. yeah, we're going to rage start? against the machine today. Excellent. That's what we're doing. The big diet culture machine. Okay. Maybe we should start out with this because I diet culture can sound like this like conspiracy word and I love me a conspiracy, but this is a non-fun conspiracy and it's not <laughs> even a conspiracy. It's just like a fact. So Caitlin, can you kind of like tell us what diet culture is? Yeah. So when you think about the diet industry as a whole, and weight loss community, fitness community. I mean, this is a multi-billion dollar industry. So much money. So much money. And they are not in the business of making you feel healthier, better, confident about your choices. They are in the business to convince you that you are a problem that needs to be fixed. Yeah. And this is not to say that like every single coach or every single brand is this, but this is kind of like the the MO behind why diet culture was created and why it exists. Yeah. So diet culture kind of goes into food labeling, foods that are good versus bad, organic versus processed uh versus exercise or like it's everything it's everywhere it's all encompassing we're all exposed to it on the daily and it's been passed down from generation to generation lovely wisdom yes yeah so it's a whole basically the idea is i'm sure you figured it out make you feel bad about yourself and make you feel like you can't trust what your own body needs and that someone or some product will fix this problem that is you. And that is what we, we got to talk about today. So Caitlin, one of the first questions, or I feel like the first things that maybe you like help athletes with when you work with them is kind of like developing a good relationship with food. And that kind of comes back to this like big question of can food be inherently good or bad? Like, what do you have to say to that when someone's like, oh, this is a bad food. This is a good food. Yeah, that's a really good topic. And usually what I start out by doing is having my client list in a category the foods that they think are good Mm. and then also list the foods that they think are bad and then we kind of talk about why they assign these labels because usually you know when you're growing up maybe you learn oh well you can't have a lot of ice cream you can't have a lot of gummies shouldn't do this shouldn't do that I'm sure you've heard your parents explain before gardens you know like this food you can't have a lot or all the time and you have to finish your peas before you get dessert you know all that super fun food 
triggering stuff. But that is something we've been conditioned to learn that these foods are not something that are health promoting, supportive of goals, um, ultimately just not healthy. So we've taken these foods and we've turned them into something to demonize, vilify, if you will. And then the other side of this too is say you win a game or you're really excited about something and you guys, you and your family go out for ice cream. And then if you have a really bad day, you might go out for ice cream to feel good again. So it's this conditioning cycle. And that's what contributes to the good versus bad food. But to answer your question, no, there is no such thing as good versus bad food. No food is inherently better than another food because all foods have a place in the diet of athletes. That is like kind of revolutionary in the number of internet dumb shit fights that I've seen started over qualified professionals like yourself saying that all foods have a place in the diet is like truly mind-blowing but okay can you go into like how a relationship with food where you like add moral value to certain foods over the over others can like impact how you eat and like perhaps impact your overall health because people (laughs) might be being like but I know broccoli is great and I think it's good and then it's good that I eat broccoli so I think I'm right and like can you kind of explain like what can happen if you don't like develop a slightly different relationship with how you label food I had to laugh because when you said the moral side of food, and I was like, potatoes are less godly than kale. Sweet potatoes. (laughs) Sweet potatoes are. Oh my gosh, I could talk about that forever. Like, (laughs) sweet potatoes are morally superior to white potatoes. And then don't think about the fact that yams are actually kind of white on the inside, and that's kind of confusing. (laughs) Or is it sweet potatoes? I don't know. I get very confused. But one of them's more orange than the other, and Thanksgiving was recent, and I really should know this, but it doesn't matter. But back to our question. Yes, confusing between yams versus sweet potatoes. There is a difference. Side note. Um, But I think that what's important to remember is that, and we can go into this a bit more too, um, but there are, of course, some foods that are, say, more nourishing than other foods. And by this, I mean, if you love Twinkies and Twinkies are your jam, they still provide energy. Bottom line, they provide calories, which we need, and that is energy. And then you think about broccoli, for example, which again, maybe is a bit more nourishing just by nature of the vitamins and minerals that it does provide, but it is a different source of nourishment. It's not necessarily calorie dense. And that also brings me to the point of what nutrient dense means. And essentially this means, you know, per let's say measurement of this food, how much, how many nutrients is in this food? Is it calorie dense versus nutrient dense? How many nutrients per portion of this food? How many calories per portion of this food? And as athletes, it is really important for us to have both calorie and nutrient dense foods, but that kind of comes back to One isn't inherently better than the other because it's really important for us to fuel and to get a variety of those fuel sources. Yeah. And I think this all comes down to like, I always hate when arguments just kind of like miss the point of what you're trying to get at. Because the point that we're trying to like bring home here is that all 
foods can have a place in a healthy diet. So when you're arguing about like, well, this one's better than this one, it's like, okay, but like we're not picking out the one food you're going to eat for the rest of forever until you die. Odds are as a human being, you're going to eat a ton of different foods throughout the day. So if sometimes you have this one food and sometimes you have like a quote more health promoting food, then it's it's like just too big of a picture to get all caught up and being like, but that's bad. It's so, it's just like, there's a much bigger thing that we're trying to like get at here. That's a really good point because you definitely, I mean, I grew up having a small bowl I was a child so it was a small bowl (laughs) of ice cream pretty routinely and that was something that I would have after dinner just because that's I guess the American way my mom would argue that you should have dessert before dinner but that's a different story I would agree with her (laughs) I don't see what the problem is (laughs) accurate yes and I it's interesting because you don't necessarily have to have one without the other meaning you know some people think like oh well if I have ice cream or a treat I can't have my next planned meal so I'll just skip it but truthfully it's better to just have that next planned meal or planned snack in addition to that you know I don't want to call it a treat but that food that food that maybe you really like you enjoy and something that Maybe you don't have all the time, but it's not a really good excuse to skip your next meal because it doesn't really make up for anything. It just causes some blood sugar imbalances and also you're missing out on other nutrients that you can get later in the day. Ooh, okay. I have a heavy hitting question for you. And also this comes, this question comes from a place of Caitlin and I have both lived through disordered eating habits and like pretty fucked up eating disorders so prepare yourself Caitlin so my question is do you think having this moral label of foods as good and bad can contribute to disordered eating patterns or perhaps even eating disorders like full-blown yes absolutely um so I think they can both contribute to eating disorders and also make them worse because Uh, you know, it becomes part of this food rule, if you will. And there are multiple types of um, eating disorders and some that also don't have a necessarily a, a label assigned to them. But when we think of foods as good or bad, off limits versus something you can have kind of in excess. So for example, there's a certain diet that has come out and has kind of taken over the eating eating disorder rhetoric and turned it into an anti-diet diet. And they assign labels to foods as red, yellow, or green. And some of the foods in the red label are foods that I would recommend anybody eat every day. Ooh, can you give an example? Also, shit talk. Who, who, wait, what? Who's putting, what? What the fuck? So this is Noom. I'm sure many of you Get have heard fucked, of this. Noom. Oh, it's, sorry it's if you like so Noom. bad. Also, I'm not sorry. Talk more about how nuts are important. <laughs> We're squirrels. Yeah. Oh my god. I need to. I need to stop. Go on. <laughs> we talk about animals on the show and uh, mega fauna. That's that's how it goes. Squirrels Metal fauna. fauna. There we I go. I don't think that's a real word. Go on. Anyway, nuts are a great source of omega three fatty acids 
omega-6 fatty acids. They're also a really great source of fiber too, and many other micronutrients that we need for optimal health and just ultimately feeling good. And nuts are in the red category, which is just absurd to me. I mean, I guess are they trying to say like these are calorically dense, but I just feel mm-hmm. like like I get it. It's like, oh, we were just giving them colors. And I'm like, but you know, red's the like stop bad color. Like don't even kid yourself, yeah. marketers. Yeah, it's, we know. it's kind of absurd to assign it to a red color because we all assign red as a bad stop color. And that is just a bad conditioning mindset. And the other diet too, I mean, my mom was on Weight Watchers for a long time. I don't know if you knew anyone on Weight Watchers growing up, but I feel like every other teacher or adult I was around was like talking about being on Weight Watchers. It's so weird how we could develop like weird relationships with food and body image issues being weird, shocking, weird, so weird. Yep. So what's frustrating about Weight Watchers and it might be different now, but it assigns points to certain foods granted this it is relevant to calorically dense foods but you have these foods that are limitless as part of the plan like plain chicken or other high protein foods veggies are free but then fruit is not anything that has fat in it lots of sauces and yummy foods that we all really gravitate towards and can have a very healthy balance in the diet with, they assign higher point values. So what this conditions you to do is say, oh, well, I can't have a lot of that because that's higher in points. Whereas then you think, oh, well, veggies are a free food, so I can eat those limitlessly. And that's crazy town. Yeah. And like, also we're not trying to like, if you've ever enjoyed using either of these programs or these apps, and if you've like got something out of it and maybe like you never ate vegetables and then you started using one of these and you ate more vegetables, like that's awesome. We're not trying to like shit on your good time, but we're just saying that like maybe some of the way that you're being like conditioned to think about food could be like potentially challenging to deal with in the future. So I guess my question here is like, like let's say someone does develop this like better relationship with food where certain things are like, oh, this is an okay food. These are all okay foods. Everything's fine. Because I think the fear for some people and they like like to have this control and also understanding that like used to have an eating disordered brain. So I know how this works in your head. Um, But like what's, what is your response to someone who might say like, but I'm afraid that if I decide that a food is no longer off limits, that I'll just like keep eating it and never stop. Like, is that fear valid? It's absolutely valid. I mean, we've been conditioned so much that to say that that's not valid is, I think, worse because you feel the way that you feel and that has is what you've been taught to feel and believe. But a couple of ways that you can start to process this is when you, know, you think about the foods that maybe you assign in your bad category and really challenge that and maybe make it more available. Have it in your diet more often or just take the restriction away and see how you feel because oftentimes the reason that we truly feel that you know, when we get our hands on something, oh, I don't have control and I'm going to eat the whole pint of ice cream. Mm -hmm. Usually it's because we put this emphasis on restricting it. We also have an emotional attachment to the restriction and the process of, um, you know, the fear primarily being the motivator there. And also it's a habit that 
potentially when we are upset or we want to feel a certain way, we reach for that, um, that say ice cream being the example, we might reach for that. When in reality, if we just had it on hand and we allowed ourselves to have it without assigning this label to it, we might just have a better relationship to it and not lust after it so much, if you will. Essentially, you make it less of this like tempting, you know, seductive food and you turn it into something that is just an okay food to have and make it a free food. Yeah, you take it from being your like secret mistress to being like your sturdy <laughs> wife at home all the time. Sturdy, sturdy ice cream wife. Sturdy ice cream wife that's always there if you do need her help. Trophy pint. Hey, <laughs> the official future brand. Of ice cream. Ben and Jerry's <laughs> yes. sponsor. True, and Ben and Jerry's has really good dairy-free ice cream. They do. The other thing I want to say, too, is a good friend of mine, and maybe some of you know her, is Emily Smith at The Outdoor Nutritionist. What up, Emily? She <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> she actually said a really awesome simplification strategy because we were talking about the things that we suggest to our clients to simplify after one of our last episodes. We talked about uh, simplification and she suggested that each week you put a fear food on your plate every Ooh. day. Um, you could do this weekly, you could do it daily, whatever you're comfortable with. Um, usually low and slow is a little bit less triggering, a little bit... Uh, more time for the brain to re become okay. <laughs> yes. So that's that's such a good tip. I, I love, love that, that tip. It's really good. I guess what would you say? So maybe someone's listening to this and they're thinking, hey, I feel like maybe I have not the most awesome relationship with food and it's like adding stress to my life and I'm not eating how I want to and like all these what kind of like medical it's probably like a could potentially a whole staff of medical professionals to undo this if we're being honest but like <laughs> yeah. where would you as as a medical professional like where would you kind of refer people to or direct people to if they do feel that they're like struggling with a disordered relationship with food or maybe even like perhaps an eating disorder yeah that's a good question I definitely think there are a lot of resources out there um Nita I believe it's Nita.org uh, they have a lot of great resources for getting in contact with people very quickly about um, disordered eating and eating disorders alike. But I do agree that it is a, a kind of a position to be in that does require and benefit from multiple professionals. I usually, whoever I work with, um, if they're in recovery and currently working through their relationship to food and their bodies, I usually recommend and require that they work with a um, a mental health professional who is an expert in eating disorders, food, body dysmorphia, uh, all of all of that good stuff. Um, just because I think getting multiple perspectives, working on not only balancing your nutrition to make sure you're getting enough and feeling good, but also having another professional who can give you some mental mindset reframes, uh, different ways to think about things and break that, that pattern and that connection of thought, essentially, if you will. Sweet. Well, I think this was a pretty heavy topic and maybe we should take a break and eat some ramen. Yep. Good break time. Good break time indeed. We'll be back after we shove some noodles in our mouths. 
Hey, Caitlin, do you want to play a game? I would love that. I think it's a great idea. We just talked about some heavy stuff, and I think it's time. All right, we're going to play this or that, and it's going to start right now. So get ready. Are you ready? Ready. Let's friggin' go. Okay, phone call or text? <laughs> text. Yeah. What, what you got for me? Coffee or tea? <laughs> Coffee. Mm. Coffee. As Ted Lasso says, tea is, I forget exactly what he said, but it was funny and it was something about tea being water. This is not as <laughs> rapid fire as I had hoped it would be, but that's <laughs> fine. Okay, yours, yours. Um, <laughs> this one's good. Facebook or Twitter? I like Twitter trolls better, so. Twitter trolls Twitter. are better trolls. I would agree with you. Mm-hmm. Swimming or sunbathing? Mm, I don't know. Both get me sunburnt. Probably Ooh, sunbathing because I am embarrassing at swimming. Ooh, okay. Football or basketball? Football. Good choice. Good Who's your team, up? Caitlin? <laughs> Good follow-up, Lauren, because I have a question for you about no, that. No, don't do this to me. I know what you're going to do. <laughs> OSU or U of M? Fuck you, Caitlin. <laughs> Ohio State. And as we're recording this, I'm still reeling from the fact that we're not in the playoffs. And I want to hear it from all you U of M fans. Jim Harbaugh can have his day. And I did think it was cute that he got to win against, he got to win the Big Ten Championship in the Indianapolis Colts Stadium, which is cute because he used to play for the Colts. And that's nice. I'm happy for him. Cute I'm win. happy. Very cute. Genuinely cute. Good sports moment. But also go Bucks. Sorry, I wanted to... Uh... This is a sports podcast See now. Lauren Rage for a minute. Uh, uh. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> um, <laughs> now I just want to give you a dumb one because I'm mad. <laughs> but what I was going to say is really immature, so I'm not going to say it. <laughs> no, I'm going to do it. Farts or poop? I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, poop is more satisfying. Yeah, you would say that because you probably like ask people about their poop and their appointments because it's important. Many people say TM, they're like TMI, but, um, but, but (laughs) it's important. Very important. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Cardio or weights? What a, what a silly question. I know. Weights. Obviously. up heavy shit and putting it down again. Ooh, this is a good one. A good one. Okay. Pancake or waffle? Ooh. Mm. Pancake. I know a lot of people disagree, but pancake for sure. Can you explain your decision? I just waffles are dry for me because pancakes absorb the syrup Mm. and waffles, even though in theory they go into those, you know, little square little waffle squares, nooks and crannies. Yeah, they're little pools, little puddles mm. for your fork to dive into. Nope. Nope. It maple syrup on my pancakes all the way. Mm. Okay. Let's see. Uh, I'm thinking of another one. Let's see. Cookies or cake? Gluten-free. <sighs> Gluten-free, of course. Um, I would say cookies. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'm on board. You can put ice cream between cookies, and that's harder to do with two pieces of cake. Absolutely. It's more functional yes. for combining. You can also dip cookies in ice cream. Ooh, okay. Hmm. Hmm. Hold on. I have more. No, I don't. What am I doing? Oh, my God. Oh, okay. Okay. Card game or board game? Board game. What's your favorite board game? Ooh, now I'm on the spot. I actually don't know that I have one off the top of my head, but I love board games. Really? Do you play like Settlers of Catan? I have. That's my favorite one. Many times. That's the only one I like. I I love them all. I just, I don't even care what the like premise is. I think it's so fun. 
What's the longest time you think you've ever played a game of Monopoly? I think only two hours because everybody gets upset. Did the game finish or did everyone? No. <laughs> everyone leaves miserably. <laughs> crying. That's awesome. I'm happy. That Socks or answer. slippers? Por que no los dos, Caitlin? Yeah, I'm a big fan of both, uh, but slippies are life. Slippies so. are life. I love slippers. Caitlin, was, before she came here, she was like, I almost checked a bag so I could pack my slippers. <laughs> I am very, uh, I prioritize my comfort to the utmost level. So, yep, that was a consideration. Decided against it so as not to seem extra. Yep. That's okay. Well, welcome to this podcast where we're extra shit. Okay, I think I have one more. Let's and hear I think it. We can close out. This will we'll make it climbing related. You're all probably sitting here like this isn't rock climbing. Fast forward. I'm upset. I wanted rock climbing. Um, cats or dogs? Porque no los dos. Mm, nope, you got to answer. Mm, but I love all my fur babies. Nope, you have to tell us. You have to tell the entire audience which pet you love the most that you own. If my cats are listening. I'm sorry. Oh, I love she- my dogs. Oh, oh, awkward. Such an asshole, though. I know. But she's cute. But Waco, I have two Australian Shepherds, Waco and Josie. <laughs> yes, I have two rock climbing crag named dogs. But uh, Josie is an asshole. But I, I do love them. Anyway. Excellent. Well, I think this is a good place to close out our game of this or that. And Stubby, our team mascot, literally just did a lap around me in the booth. <laughs> Because he was pleased that we selected dogs. Excellent. Which well, is let's great. get a let's Sorry, get serious Caitlin's again. Cat. <laughs> All right, back to serious stuff. Let's go. Caitlin, how was your ramen? Oh my god, it was so ramen-y. The nudes. Just exquisite. Chef's kiss. Those were some good nudes. That was a good, that was a good well-deserved break. Mm. Tonkatsu broth. Mm. I had shoyu broth. And and this place that we went to has gluten-free yam noodles, so I was happy. Everybody wins. And also the yam noodles were clear, which leads me to believe that sweet potatoes are orange and yams are less orange, just to kind (laughs) of clear up that confusion from earlier. Myth busted. Myth busted. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I think now is a good time. I, I love talking about organic foods because I think it's really interesting. And I think there is a preponderance of information out there about like the benefits of organic foods and sort of how like messed up our food system is in general. And we're not going to get up. We're not going to we're not going to get all into that because that's a whole old thing. But I do want to ask Caitlin. Um, who, by the way, has a background in soil science, actually, which is a fun fact about Caitlin. Dirt nerd. Dirt nerd! (laughs) (laughs) Very good. So we're going to talk a little bit about organic foods. Okay, so Caitlin, let me just start off by asking, like, are organic foods inherently better for you? And do you think it's always worth the typical difference in price that you pay for organic versus non-organic? I don't think organic foods are inherently better. I have a couple uh, caveats that I want to say, but I'm going (laughs) to hold off on those. But no, if truthfully, if what is affordable, accessible, uh, 
just in general available to you is non-organic, conventionally grown produce, it does not mean that you're going to grow gills just by nature of those foods potentially being grown with pesticides. And oftentimes you can wash a lot of the pesticide residues off of these uh, foods, produce crops. So that's a big, big reason why you should wash uh, those foods as well, especially to wash away any potential uh, things like salmonella, all that uh, good stuff. Fun stuff. I guess, so you kind of talked a little bit about like vegetables and fruits and how you want to wash those off. Like, what do you say about organic meats? And what does that even mean for, for anyone who's like, what does that mean? I don't get it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, maybe it would be good to back up and talk about what organic actually means. Yeah. And what it's classified as. Because believe it or not, there are very few food labels used in marketing that are legit and actually checked and audited. Ooh, okay. What are, maybe sh- Do you want to start by telling us like which ones are legally meaningless if you will (laughs) legally meaningless are healthy natural and let me think about is low fat one of those like what is that is that like low Um, relative is that like relative low fat and low sodium are actually regulated and it does have a specific meaning um so those are i would say partially regulated uh the ones that are definitely regulated are gluten-free, Rainforest Alliance certified, fair trade, uh, organic, of course. Um, And then the ones that are lesser regulated are things like uh, cage-free, grass-fed. Actually, grass-fed might be somewhat regulated, but typically there are very few that are, are actually regulated and, you know, checked routinely. Um, Interesting. Okay, so essentially, like, things that actually mean something and are regulated, like USDA organic, gluten-free, and then some of them, there was a few that you mentioned that were, like, middle regulated, but big ones that I see a lot that seem to be completely unregulated and are virtually meaningless are, like, healthy natural what else am I- those are the big ones those are the big ones yeah they're just like yeah you're like oh, okay oh, that's- like and we just talked about how like all foods have a healthy place in the diet so like, yeah what is healthy it's like anyway? an interesting attribute but yeah false yep well so organic is a highly regulated label on foods and typically when a farm wants to farm a place that grows foods what you know beyond the farm not just uh, the horse's origin story slash uh, <laughs> natural <laughs> habitat. But um, organic foods are, they have to have a few things, um, specific attributes. They cannot be grown with synthetic pesticides, fertilizers, cannot have genetic engineering involved in the growing process, antibiotics, synthetic growth hormones, sewage sludge, or irradiation, but they also cannot be processed with artificial colors or preservatives. So that's pretty all-encompassing with like fruits and vegetables, but also um, meats as well. And I see your face looking like you're disgusted. What's up? I'm very worried. I think you just like sped past the phrase sewage sewage sludge. (laughs) Backing up. Backing up. Okay. Does that mean legally in certain cases that like food doesn't get checked for being in contact with sewage sewage sludge i'm very concerned well a lot of places use 
sewage sludge and things like, you know, fertilizer because it actually... Wait, like from like from where? What kind of... where? What what <laughs> animal are we getting Typically like cow manure. Okay, okay. But that's also where, you know, it comes into the topic of potential contamination with mm. things like e. salmonella and E. coli because if food is grown with that, it's a risk, um, which is why you should definitely wash all produce for sure. Yeah, okay, so we're not trying to like, Caitlin, you can probably back me up on this one. We're not trying to like fear monger here and be like, no, no. non-organic, this is not a podcast where we're saying non-organic food is full of sewage sludge. But <laughs> if you are buying organic food, perhaps you will be at a lower risk for consuming some of these things. But to your point, Caitlin, your your thought is like, for the most part, if you wash it, you're probably in place. Mm-hmm. So I'll back up and I actually don't buy a lot of organic produce just because I don't think that it is necessarily all that better sometimes. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll back up a little bit because uh, Lauren, have you ever heard of something called the precautionary principle? No. So back in soil school, (laughs) we talked about the precautionary principle and essentially the concept is better safe than sorry and that can be applied here I think and a lot of people use that as kind of their their guiding beacon if you will to support buying organic foods and certainly pesticides do have a lot of fucked up shit that they can cause and contribute to um let me name some of the fun ones. Uh, infertility, cancers, ADHD, cognitive disorders, some severe allergies, poor immunity, also short-term things like rashes, headaches, and diarrhea. Um, but the important thing to remember is that there is a group called EWG that creates a yearly guide called the Dirty Dozen, mm. and they will actually test produce and give a yearly list of which foods will have the most pesticide residues versus which won't. So for example, some years it might be like cherries were grown with more pesticides Mm. versus the next year. And so a lot of the times some people will prioritize the foods that are on the dirty dozen to buy as organic because those are the foods that pose if you will, the most risk. But that doesn't mean that if you buy these foods non-organically that you're going to have any of those long-term symptoms or consequences because at the end of the day, if you eat vegetables and fruits and you enjoy them and you know, you're know you looking at a $10 big bucket of organic produce versus you know $2 of double the amount, you know, I would kind of lean towards the latter. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Okay, I have a question. I have a backing up to like a question about. It. Mm. So something that I have read is that it is good to buy organic meats because the ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 fatty acids can sometimes be better in organically grown meats. And then I've also heard that... If you're going to buy non-organic meats, it's better to do it with like less fatty cuts of meat because a lot of like toxins from pesticides are fat soluble. Mm-hmm. So I guess, am I, am I correct? Am I like worrying about too much? Like, I guess, what do you, what do you say to that? Yeah. Um, your 
very well read that that is excellent (laughs) Um, i went through a phase it was weirdly part of a time in my life where i had a super fucked up relationship with food but i did learn a lot and now i can eat ice cream in peace and i know a lot of things growth go on growth wow (laughs) adult disordered eating with science and paranoia yeah excellent i really was really educated about my disordered eating patterns so that's cool i guess but no it it it's interesting you bring that up because I'm sure you've heard the phrase, you are what you eat. And the same thing goes with meats because oftentimes the grass-fed cattle are fed, of course, grass. So that's their primary diet and they end up having more omega-3s. Um, that same thing is actually true for grass-fed dairy cows because they're um, they're dairy products will have more omega-3s in them just by nature of what they eat versus a lot of conventionally grown, ooh, grown, ooh, awkward, um, conventionally fed (laughs) cows eat a corn-based diets. And so that ends up translating to more omega-6s. You still need omega-6s. Omega-6s are essential fatty acids still. But the problem is in the American diet, we tend to have foods uh, that are more consistently higher in omega-6s and we want a balance in bringing up the omega-3s. So that's the one one difference. And then you also mentioned too, uh, lower fat cuts. Um, yeah, fat in general is a really great storage area for toxins, uh, medications that can be, you know, environmental pollutants, things like that. So this is definitely true of animals. They store those things in in their fat. Same with humans too. I mean, when when people start to lose weight, um, for example, like if, if somebody goes on a weight loss protocol and they start to lose a lot of of weight via fat, then sometimes they might actually stall out and plateau um, if they have more weight to lose. This isn't to say for athletes because sometimes you, if you're plateauing, you don't need to lose weight. That's a whole other thing. Whole other thing. Whole other thing. Oftentimes you'll plateau because the release of toxins is so great. The body's like, what the fuck do I do? Rebalancing. Yeah, like what do we do? The chakras. Yeah, that's not right. That's why Caitlin's here because I'm wrong. Uh, Yeah, that gets a little meta toxin, but we'll get there later. Um, But yeah, essentially that that is true. But again, if you eat foods that are not organic and they, you know, you you have a balanced diet with great protein from plant or animal-based sources, you have varied and diversified fruits and vegetables, then I think that you're, you know, you're better off than stressing about organic versus non-organic. At the end of the day, choose foods that you're comfortable with, are familiar to you, are accessible, affordable, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah, that's a really great point. And also something that I like want to point out here, uh, we're talking about all of this from like a human health perspective and from the perspective that you're athletes, this is obviously like a gigantic discussion that talks Mm -hmm. that could really get into like the economy and environmental issues and like literally all kinds of things that we're just not going to cover on this podcast. We'll grind our gears later. Yeah. We'll like a whole, a whole lot of things, but in terms of like what you're consuming for your health and as a person, um, this is kind of the scope of this discussion. If you haven't figured that out, trying to think what else. Oh, oh, I want to talk to you 
really quick, can you give us just a rundown of like maybe rundown, brief rant, whatever you're feeling about the term processed foods? (laughs) Yeah, this is a good question because when you hear processed, I mean, I, for a long time when I was growing up, I heard, you can't eat that. It's not healthy for you because it's processed. I got SpaghettiO shamed by my friend's mom and my mom was pissed. She was like, you're six. Eat SpaghettiOs. I don't care what that woman says. Yeah. Um, SpaghettiO shaming is not okay. I grew up to be a tall five foot four fueled by SpaghettiOs. So you're fine. I'm fine. It's It's okay. I was fueled by... Annie's mac and cheese and kid cuisines. Yeah, so that's we're my fine. origin story. We're alive. <laughs> okay, back to processed foods. <laughs> so if you think about it, things like peanut butter are processed because they are ground, but that doesn't mean that they are processed in a, an, an ick way. Same thing with tofu. I mean, that's just processed to turn it into a square of protein from beans basically so processed as a term isn't a way to define something as bad versus good unless you know you're talking about like cheetos and it's it's heavily manufactured but i would say that's arguably different than processed yeah that's a really good point also this is my little chemical engineer bells are ringing i'm like oh yeah process it just means like taking something and turning it into something else cheese is processed yeah but we love cheese and it has lots of protein and it's great for you. Yeah, I mean. Unless you're dairy intolerant, but. Well, that's a different story. We'll get there later. Yeah. But it's a, it's all like that. It's, I mean, you, by the process of digesting food, you process it in your mouth and grind it up to start chemical or, excuse me, mechanical digestion to then transfer it to chemical digestion. So, we're not turning it into something bad by processing it. We're actually making it more digestible, releasing some of the nutrients and getting it ready to start the actual digestion in your gut. Yeah. So I guess to sum up that point, like lots of foods are processed and someone being like, don't eat processed foods, buy my protein powder. It's like, that shit's processed too, idiot. So just like, just be wary of that term if someone's like leveraging it to fear monger because like a lot of things that are arguably a great thing to have in your diet are technically processed. Yep. Sweet. Yeah, I think that's a a good place to end. Yeah, Um, that was so helpful. Thank you so much, Caitlin. I love asking you all my questions (laughs) that keep me awake at night about foods. It's great. Side note, Lauren and I created this so we could each ask each other questions and not bill each other. so true <laughs> literally we've been doing this for a year where Caitlin's like we got plan. And I'm like yeah I need to talk to you about my eating and then we just do that and then we'll never have to pay for it. this is just an elaborate scheme for us to get free coaching <laughs> but you all benefit too so to sum up I think definitely what I want to leave you with is food and health health is subjective and Ultimately, choose the foods that you feel good about, are familiar to you. You don't have to eat kale just because so-and-so famous. Team spinach. Yeah. (laughs) You can eat uh, different food options. It doesn't have to be the health superfood of the year uh, to be healthy. But ultimately, pick what works best for you. Diversify when you can. Eat the rainbow. That's what that means. Um, But yeah, ultimately, you do you. 
Yep, we'll get, we'll do, obviously, this is the very beginning of this long road of podcasting. We'll definitely get more specific with guidelines, but this is a super foundational topic to lay out so that you can understand, like, that certain things are just inaccurate, and we wanted to talk about it. Caitlin and I hope you feel liberated by today's discussion. Now I will close us out with our production credits. The Average Climber podcast is hosted by me, Lauren, and my co-host, Caitlin. You can find us on Instagram over at The Average Climber Podcast for antics between episodes and updates on when new episodes are coming out. You can also find me on Instagram at Good Spray Coaching and Caitlin on her Instagram over at Dirtbag Nutritionist. The show is produced by Josh Hayfley with our favorite furry production assistant, Stubby the Corgi. The music for this episode was created by Devin Dabney of the American Climbing Project. Make sure you check out his podcast if you haven't already. You'll laugh, you'll learn, and you will introspect. The Average Climber Podcast is a part of the Plug Tone Audio Network. Head on over to PlugToneAudio.com or at PlugToneAudio to learn more about the other great shows on the network. See you next time. And until then, keep it average.